friends, if you were moved in singing this morning and in worship uh, and want to be a part of that, um, I, we encourage you to do that. This is, here's one other opportunity to gather that I forgot to mention earlier. Um, our children's choirs have started back up. They're meeting outside in the pavilion. There's a boys' choir as well. If you have a young boy or a grandson who'd like to be a part of that, um, reach out to Dana for that. Handbells are starting as well. So lots of opportunities for you to participate in worship here uh, in the sanctuary or outside, um, as you, even as you sing and, and worship and, and, and praise God at home. So hope you can be a part of those. Talk to Dana for more information. And I like the point that you made at the top of, of the worship, that even though we're not able to gather in our large worship setting, there is a lot that's going on yeah. right now. And there are ways to be able to, to engage and connect with others. And I'm thankful for those opportunities for us as well. So, hey, it's good to be preaching with you this yeah. morning, Jeff. And we're continuing our sermon series on uh, reimagining the church, and we're looking at... Um, this week, shepherding and discipleship. Um, and so I uh, recently, we've talked about this, but recently I have been undergoing a couple of different life changes. One of them, I'm trying to grow out this shaggy mop on my head. And this is the longest my hair has been in, oh, I don't know, 15 years. And so I'm trying to be patient and let it keep growing and see what happens. But I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I also, since the end of May, I've lost about 20 pounds. And we talked about this at one point, you, me, and Vern, we were all injured. We were praying together in the prayer chapel and we were all like debilitated, unable to exercise. And we were just languishing and how terrible that made us feel. And so that's an answered prayer. You've been able to get back into that routine. It is. It has been an answered prayer. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and that the weight loss has come from a couple of different changes. It's first in change in exercise to be able to begin to, to exercise about six days a week. And then a diet change with a focus on on how many times a day I eat and the focus being on proteins and um, vegetables and fruits and really staying away from sugars and um, carbs. And so the, that has worked. Now the third phase of the lifestyle change for me is around the spiritual practices. And so I have wanted to redo kind of my daily spiritual practices. And lately with the start of Disciple Bible Study 3, because there's daily re- like there's a lot of reading that goes with that study. Um, I finally was able to do what I shared with staff I wanted to. And I created a, um, like a study nook in one of the rooms in the parsonage. And so that's where I go now in the mornings to do my Bible study and prayer time. And that's been kind of new and different and exciting. It's interesting to me how just sometimes just a small thing will spur bigger changes, right? And just to to say, Hey, I'm going to find a space in my house that I can dedicate to meeting with the Lord. Like it's such a simple thing. It's such a small thing, but yet as you testified to, it makes a big difference it, sometimes. It has, and it's, it's breathed new life into that, that time with God, mm-hmm. um, on a daily basis. And so, so yeah, all of these things have been happening and they're very exciting for me, but the question is how long, how long will I keep up with these lifestyle changes so far? So good. But in our culture today, 
um, folks tend to um, go in for like the quick results and the 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 quick payback, right? And then. Um, once the unhealthy habits um, have been kicked and the goal is reached, that's the thing. Once the goal is reached, a lot of times we lose the lifestyle change behaviors. And summertime is a great example when people try and diet or exercise or whatever to get into that beach body. And then the summer ends and they're right back to the behaviors that they were doing last fall. Um, so when we think about these struggles to kind of maintain the life changes for the long haul, what, how does that work in our spiritual practices, in our spiritual lives? Uh, because when we have an encounter with Jesus um, in our lives, that the question is, is that um, invitation um, a short-term invitation or is that invitation for the long haul? And actually... Um, whenever Jesus is involved, the hope, the desire is always for the long haul. Um, the problem is we're looking for the quick and easy short-term results. And we treat it more like a diet. We treat it more like a trend mm-hmm. or the latest thing that, that we are doing. Um, but when we encounter the gospel, y'all, it brings a whole life change with it. It is not a short-term kind of um, shift. And it's not like a diet also because uh, it was not meant to be something that we have to tackle alone, that the success or failure of it is completely up to us, that this lifestyle change that Jesus invites us into is also meant to be done in relationship with others. And um, following Jesus is uh, one of those opportunities to, to, to want to be on a journey with people who are ahead of you, that can help you along the way, but also people behind you so that you can help them along the way as well. And when we figure this out, when we figure out that, that this life that Jesus invites us into is this journey um, that we travel with others, then Jesus has the opportunity to change our lives completely. And so that's what we want to talk about today. When we look back at the early church, what, what can we learn about how they discipled and shepherded one another that allowed them to follow Jesus for a lifetime, for a lifetime? So we have three scripture passages for you this morning, and two of them are going to be really familiar. And then there's one new, new addition to the mix. Uh, But I'm going to be reading all three from the Common English Bible, and we're going to start with Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And this is the the common, I mean, this is the Great Commission. So should should be familiar, Jesus' last words to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. Jesus says to them, Jesus came near and spoke to them, I've received all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. And then from Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, and we've used this scripture a couple of times already in this sermon series, and we'll use it again. In some ways, it's kind of like the the theme verse for us, but it paints such a beautiful picture of what community and discipleship looked like for uh, the, the early Christians. 
The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles, and all the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day, they met together in the temple and ate in their homes, and they shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. And then finally, the new teaching comes from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And listen to how this describes uh, a disciple's life, like what, what, um, what Christ offers a, a, a faithful disciple. By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Through his honor and glory, he has given us precious and wonderful promises that you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. This is why you must make every effort to add moral excellence to your faith and to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, endurance, and to endurance, godliness, and to godliness, affection for others, and to affection for others, love. If all these are yours and they are growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these things is short-sighted and blind forgetting that they were cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be eager to confirm your call and election. Do this and you will never, ever be lost. In this way, you will receive a rich welcome into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is God's word for us, God's children. So this whole series, what I love doing is looking at these scripture passages that paint a picture, uh, offer a teaching from the early church and see what can we learn from, from the early church that we can apply today. And so let's start with the Great Commission that tells us just very clearly, bluntly, go make disciples. That's what we're called to do. That, that is the mission of the church with a capital C. And what we begin to see if you read the book of Acts, particularly the first 15 chapters, is is, it's the unfolding, it's the enactment of this uh, commandment that Jesus gives the disciples. So we get to see it unfold and how how the disciples, the apostles, the early Christians began to go and make disciples. But what I think is important for us to point out here is that people were not called to become individual believers. Jesus didn't say, Jeff, you go become the most faithful believer in me that you can be. Mm -hmm. 
It wasn't that. It was go and make disciples of other people. So there was this expectation that we would enact in our own lives the teaching of Christ, that we would embody. and, and, And as we embodied it, we would invite others, like our mission statement here at Boone, we invite others to discover life in Christ. That was the intention. That's what Jesus meant for us to go and do. Um, and, and, and so it's not an isolated personal relationship with Jesus that we're called to. We are called to be in relationship with others and to invite them on this journey that I was talking about. And so I wondered when I was thinking about this in my own life, I wondered if you could think of a time when, when that, that really and truly hit you, when you figured out, wow, we really weren't meant to be these isolated um, people in our prayer closets, praying yeah. to Jesus, but that we were supposed to be in relationship, traveling this journey with others. Yeah, absolutely. I, for me, it was the first time I joined a small group. Um, mm-hmm. I was in my early twenties and I had been raised in the church and still thankful for uh, confirmation and all the, all the steps along the way that had taught me the faith. Um, but hadn't really truly experienced the, the joy and the, and the, the invitation really that you're naming, um, to, to do life in intentionally with one another as we grow spiritually. Um, once I, once I finished high school and college and all that stuff. Um, and so I was, in a, I was a part of a church had been going for a, a number of years actually and hadn't had made lots of friends but no real deep connections um, until uh, a friend of mine from work invited me to join a Bible study. It, was a, it happened to be a group of guys. And so um, this group of guys got together and I had never like... I mean, there were plenty of times in my life when I had experienced God's, God's presence, God's faithfulness, um, but I, the scriptures had never come alive in the way that they did when this group of young 20-something guys were saying, hey, let's, let's read some, some scripture this week and see how, what God's inviting us to this week. Um, that was a... That was a game changer for me, and it led me to uh, part of that group. Eventually, uh, led me to meet some some guys who I got connected to, who I became to. I started to ask questions about vocational ministry, yes. and eventually, now here I am, uh, yeah. a pastor. So that was critically formational for me to to be a part of that small group of guys who were just doing life together and meeting once a week to say, "Hey, let's see what what the Word has to say to us today." I love it, and that is a beautiful example. Um, and, and a little bit different from my own example. And so I, I think this is cool, the way that we can experience um, these importance of relationships. Uh, but for me, that moment really hit me after I'd been in my first appointment for a few years. And I was going through a spiritual desert. Uh, and I've shared a little, I mean, I've shared the story about the uh, time when Greg and I realized, oh my gosh, like we're not able to have kids. This was, just, it was just a terrible time in my life. And it really caused me to have a theological crisis. I was having a crisis of faith with God and the Christian educator that was on staff, Charlotte, um, came along beside me and every day, I mean, not every day, but every week we would meet weekly and she would pray for me because I, I literally could not bring the words to my lips and was so confused and lost and hurt and just in a terrible, terrible place. And for a year, for a year, this friend did this with me and, and the struggle was on Sunday mornings. I had to stand in front of a congregation and pray. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and finding those words was so hard and she just 
helped me through that season. Then I realized looking back on it, I was like, oh my gosh, like she, she was there to help me navigate this time when I could hardly even do it myself. And for that part of my journey, I was completely leaning on her and she was a gift. And so to, again, to realize we were not meant to travel this journey alone. We weren't. Uh, and there are times when I've been able to repay the favor to somebody else. And so yeah. these are both examples of how we, we can connect with others and be part of this discipling process. They sh- either be the recipient or the giver of discipleship and, and shepherding. So um, um, I hope that everybody has that aha moment of, oh, right. I, I don't have to carry this alone. I don't have to do this alone. Well, um, the rest of Matthew 28 uh, describes what I think is a, in brief, a process. It reminds us that this discipleship is not a, a, a thing that happens in just a, an important single event, but it is a process. We call it here that discipleship is a process, not a program. Cause we also think, Hey, if I can just sign up for that one class or that one thing, then I can, um, figure out this discipleship thing and I'm good. I'm done. And it's not, it's a lifelong process. And, and, um, Jesus describes like baptism and, and teaching and this, this, um, connection to, to teach and to live out all that I've taught you. Uh, and so I, I do want to say if this is, if you're yearning to be part of this journey and recognizing that baptism is kind of the official entrance into this process of discipleship. It involves Christ laying claim on us and us um, committing our, our uh, being open to and committing our lives to Jesus. And if that's something that you have not been baptized, but you want to, or you want to learn more about it, then please reach out to me, Jeff, Patty, Vern, any of our pastors on staff, and we would be happy to walk with you and, and talk to you about, about that possibility. Um, we would love, we would love to be able to, to baptize you and, and start you on this journey. And the river's only going to get colder, y'all. So the sooner, the better. <laughs> Um, we'll make it happen. No, we can do it in January. It's just a lot colder. And, but that is true. No, if you we have lots the of ways, lots of ways in the Methodist church to baptize. In the river, um, <laughs> we'll bring heat sources. Yeah. Um, I love it. I love it. So let's look at the second Peter teaching and, um, kind of do a little bit of a deep dive there. And as we can find in a lot of places in the new Testament in eight verses, there's a whole sermon. So yeah, you probably, okay, just reread those eight verses and let's call the, the musicians back on the stage and be done. Um, but I want to make sure we understand what all is being said here. Cause there's some powerful words that we need to claim and hear. And one of the most important, I think is towards the beginning where it, it says to us, Jesus has given us all that we need. Jesus has provided us all that we need to live out this Christian life to, um, second Peter's words are to, to live into this godliness, um, to, to be able to be a Jesus follower. And as hard as it might seem, we've got to never lose sight of the fact that Jesus has given us everything we need to be able to, to do this. Um, And those are, we were kind of chatting about this yesterday. That's a really important word of hope right Mm -hmm. now, because 
it is such a disconnected, crazy time. And there are many days when I feel like I absolutely don't have everything I need for what is being asked of me in that day or to figure out what is next. But but Jesus gives us all that we need. Um, and I, I, I appreciate that word of hope. Um, and part of what he's given us are these, these promises that Christ will fulfill that allow us to have hope in the future. Um, and that hope in the future is what lets us get through today. But these promises, we're gonna, we are going to be with Christ forever, like eternally. And that seems like a a huge kind of idea to wrap our head around, but some of these promises Christ will fulfill and they are our our inspiration, our motivation um, for for now. Uh, But it also talks about this idea of being able to escape the corruption, the temptations, the things in this world that pull us away from Jesus that pull us away from from continuing to travel our our faith journey that distract us or just call us away, um, and and then the other piece that I love is the part where it talks about we get to participate in this divine nature. What the heck does that mean? Well, I think it means that is another way of saying this is a beautiful partnership. That we get to be, Jesus loves us so much and wants to be in a relationship with us that it looks more like a partnership. Um, and, and we get to participate in that. Christ longs for us to participate in that partnership. But then says, okay, but this is what this looks like. And this is where it gets, um, maybe starts to feel a little bit hard and we have to go back and remember, but Christ has given us all that we need. And so there's a list of virtues and it says that we as Christians, as Jesus followers should make every effort to, um, support our faith. So faith is the starting point by, uh, with moral excellence. And this, this is a sense of goodness of doing what is right. And that, that with that moral excellence, then we support that with knowledge. And this is not knowledge of everything and being like smart. It's knowledge of Jesus. It's learning about Jesus and Jesus's teachings. Uh, and then we support that knowledge with self-control, meaning that we do um, work hard to restrain ourselves um, from our physical desires that can distract us. We support the self-control with endurance. And this is not endurance to go and run a marathon. It's, it's endurance in right thinking, in being able to time and time again um, overcome those temptations by trusting in God. Then we support that endurance with godliness, which essentially is acknowledging um, and obeying God's will, not not ours. That God is the one that we are following. That leads to godliness. And then uh, support that with Philadelphia love, affection for others. Uh, and then we support that affection for others with agape love, which is the love we live out in community through support and service and care of one another. Um, so it starts with faith and it moves to love, familiar words for us in the Christian faith. Uh, but the results of, of this, this practice, these virtues, is that it um, offers us this chance to, to not only follow Jesus, but to increase our lives in the example of Christ, to be fruitful and, and, and effective. In other words, this is a, a form of discipleship because it's keeping us focused and maturing and growing in our life with Christ. Um, and... 
and helps us to, as verse nine says, to not be blind to what all is going on. But when we're practicing these things and we are awake, we are paying attention. We are on point and can notice and see not only what Christ is doing in our own lives, bringing about this lifestyle change to be able to see the hair getting longer or whatever, that we see it for the long run, but we also see it, see Christ working in the world around us. Uh, But here's the key. And this is what I want us to talk about for a minute is um, it, this is calling on what I saw one commentator refer to as, a, as our moral effort. Mm-hmm. And I like this phrase because uh, the scripture itself says that we, we should make every effort to. And, and we, should, we should try, we should make every effort to um, participate, to, to exert this our moral effort. And the idea here, for me, I immediately thought of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his teaching around cheap grace. Because yes, Christ offers grace to us, but that is not the, the, it's like the starting point of salvation. It's not the end point. That once that grace is offered to us, then what is our response? Mm -hmm. And so um, this moral effort is a way of talking about being given these gifts um, to to be able to be faithful, to follow Jesus, to grow in our, our um, understanding and love and relationship of Jesus, um, but but to do so by um, by exerting our own participation into it. So it's not earning our salvation. It's not that. It's really the, our response. Like if we're going to be partners, as I talked about earlier, partners with Jesus, then there is a participation that yeah. we that we have to um, contribute. And so I wonder when I, when I say these words, moral effort, wh- what does what does that mean to you? What comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think um, I, I think just intentionality. Like mm-hmm. it's so again, I, and, and just the fact that. <laughs> that God continues to move and be active in the world and invites us to be a part of it. And so God's going to do that whether we accept that invitation or not, right? God is continually bringing about restoration and healing and new creation. Um, and, and we can be, we, we already are a part of that by virtue of, of Jesus's work on the cross, right? Salvation is accomplished. Like it's done. It is finished. Um, it's accomplished. And so we, we have that, right? Right. But then it's, but then God also says, Hey, I'm still doing that recreating work. I'm still doing that, that, that mission, that, that kingdom of God is still advancing. It's still coming and you can be a part of it. And so it's more than, like you said, it's more than just Whatever it is, sitting in church on Sunday, it's more than just believing the right things. It's more than just thinking the right way about how God works. It's an invitation. It's, it's, hey, you can be a part of this work that God is doing in the world. Um, And and that requires effort. It requires intentionality. It requires... deciding that I want to walk with individuals in, in the body of Christ and I want to be accountable for my actions and I want to, um, I want to make time, I want to find a space in my house where I know that I can meet with God and I can expect that God's going to speak to me through God's word. Like I, that requires effort in order to experience the fullness of the salvation that God offers us. Mm. So it's, mm. it's more than just this, again, this, this thing, this salvation that's out there that one day will be with God in heaven. Mm. Like, yes, but salvation is also now. And, mm. and, and Jesus invites us to be a part of it now in a way that requires our response and our participation and our effort right. uh, and our moral effort. I love that. I love that sense of being able to 
participate in the full experience now. Yeah. Now. Um, so thank you for that. And, and the fact that it is a lifelong process, it's just not this one thing that happens instantaneously in our life. And I think that's what the Acts passage beautifully paints. And really, again, those first several chapters of Acts, because this is one example that we could have pulled up. There's like five, I think that we could have used where this discipleship is work that happens over a lifetime. It's not this, um, mountaintop experience, right? And it's not even moving from one mountaintop experience to another mountaintop experience. Those can be powerful in our lives. I love it when those happen, but that is not what sustains discipleship. Discipleship is, is work that happens over a lifetime. And the acts, um, paints that picture pretty clearly that it's teaching the apostles teaching it's fellowship it's breaking bread together it's prayer and it's worship together these are the things that that nurture that sense of community that acts is describing yeah. and and they they're done over and over and over on a regular pattern over time and that's what creates the lifestyle change that yeah. shapes and forms us. Yeah. I, Eugene Peterson has this phrase. He actually, he wrote a book in the eighties um, called the long obedience in the same direction. Hmm. It's, a, it's an awesome book. You should read it. It's actually based on a, a Nietzsche quote, which is interesting. And Peterson kind of imagines Nietzsche, like looking at that and being like, hmm. uh, um, but, <laughs> but it's, um, but it gets at that point of it's, it's a long obedience. It's a series of steps. It's a, it's a, it's a recommitting ourselves to this invitation that God offers to say, Hey, come and be a part of my kingdom coming on earth. It's, it's a, it's, it's a, um, yeah, it's not a one-time thing. It's a rededication. And for Peterson, it was, it was in the process of being a pastor in a local church that he kind of realized, and it was through reading the Psalms, actually. Um, and as he thought through and, and, and prayed through the Psalms and the life of the church and, and God's people, um, realizing that this is, this is in it, we're in it for the long haul here. Right. Like, it's not just a one-time thing. And, and that, that's partly what caused him to be a pastor in his congregation for 30 years. He was in the same parish. And so, um, but it was based on this idea of how have God's people engaged in worship over the lifetime of history. Um, and it's, and it's through the Psalms. It was specifically Psalms 120 through, I think 134, or 135, um, looking at the life of Israel, the, the life of worship, the, the formation through the desert, the witnessing God's miracles, um, all of that stuff. It was, a, it was a long, I mean, there were 40 years in the desert, right? Like that wasn't just God said, I'm going to bring you to the promised land and boom, they were there. Like, it was 40 years of spiritual formation. Um, and so it was a long obedience in, in the same direction, an orientation um, toward the God of the universe, inviting us to participate in this process of, of ongoing salvation that was accomplished and yet still coming and, and still and still still here for us to participate in now. I love that phrase because it also implies movement. Yeah. And it also implies, um, you know, you know, heading in a specific direction like, like, we can all help one another yeah. um, stay sure. on, yeah. on track um, mm-hmm. in that, that direction. But uh, that's a great, great image, a great image. So I want to give you a quiz as we're wrapping things up. <laughs> um, and let, let's just see. I, I'll participate somewhat too. Okay. Can you name the five wealthiest people in the world? In a pandemic, Jeff Bezos has to be at the top. Um, and then probably Bill Gates and some other people. Right. Some other people. Right. I can name about three. Um, can you name the last five Heisman Trophy winners? Oh, man. I can name the ones from University of Michigan, but they weren't the last five. <laughs> I can name the ones from the University of North Carolina, too. Uh, yeah. Hmm. yeah. It's been a while. Right. Um, right. Um, what about the last five winners of the Miss America contest? 
I could not name a single one of those. Yeah, I don't know a single one either. Um, (laughs) Name 10 people who've won a Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, uh, this, I, yeah, I'm sure there's some. Obama won Obama one, won and he's one. like, um, like, okay, there are some other scientists and there's people. There's lots of scientists. But I, I don't really know their names. Mm-hmm. They've done amazing things, but I don't know their names. Mm-hmm. Um, name the last five Academy Award winners for Best Actor or Actress. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I know this past year only because I've queued up... Um, Renee Zellweger for Judy, for Judy Garland. Okay. And I haven't watched that one yet. And then Joaquin Phoenix was for The Joker, and I don't want to watch oh, that yeah. one because it was Oof, that one is spooky, painful. like yeah. um, hard. It was hard. Yeah. And I'm not in the right mindset to watch hard. Not a great time of life right. to watch that one right, right. now. But yeah, anyway. Um, so, okay. Um, that was, I, that is, the point is, um, it is hard to remember all of these headliners from yesterday. And yet, these folks are not second-rate achievers, right? They have done amazing things and, and accomplished amazing things in their lifetime. But the applause fades. The awards tarnish. Um, most of them will be buried with those uh, accolades. And only those right around them will know and remember. So here's another quiz I want to ask you, and I think these questions are going to pop up on the comments as well. Name three teachers who aided your journey through mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I can, uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can do mine too. Miss Constantine, um, Sammy Jordan, and um, I'll say Miss Hicks. But there's, it could be way more than three. Yeah. For way sure. more than three. Yeah. Um, name three friends who helped you through a difficult time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we... I, t- I talked to three of them yesterday. Yeah, actually. right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, my friend Charlotte that I've named, I've already shared mm-hmm. um, that example. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. And that can be, I can think of all kinds of examples there um, that. One of them for me was this, was the, one of the guys that I got connected to through this small group was, yeah. a, was a pastor. And I realized, wow, like regular people can be pastors. Um, <laughs> so uh, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> right. Shout out to Trent. Uh, Trent. Trent's not Woo-hoo. watching, but yeah. <laughs> think of a few people who've made you feel appreciated and special. Hmm. And. Thank, we're thankful for those folks. And yeah. then think of five people that you just enjoy spending time with. Yeah. Um, so these are easier for us to name for ourselves. And these are people who all make a difference in our lives. Um, most of them don't have credentials, mm-hmm. right? They, they've not necessarily achieved these amazing um, accomplishments. Um, they don't necessarily have tons of money or awards or, or things that society can kind of use as metrics for accomplishment. Um, but they are people who care and they're ones we've shared life with. Uh, maybe they've offered us some wisdom along the way or a listening ear or empathy when we needed it most, when we were struggling. Maybe they even offered solutions to uh, problems we were wrestling with out of their own personal experience. Mm-hmm. But often they're people that we are shepherded by or that we share a discipling experience with along the way. And so when you think of discipleship uh, and kind of what we've talked about with the early church, I wonder... What strikes you as most important for us to notice today, to pay attention to? 
I think uh, there's so many things, right? I mean, again, you said it, that Second Peter passage, uh, there's so much in there. Um, but again, just the idea of uh, that we're in it together. Um, and that it's hard to it's hard to remember sometimes in the midst of the the disruption that we're experiencing now that we are actually in this thing together and and and, and not only us but God is all in with us in it in the midst of it and so again something from the early church that I've taken from this series is just the idea of God's presence with us um, God's again just affirmation of God's God's love for us God's commitment to us that covenant that God has with us um, and that includes all of us together. Um, whether it's through worship and all of life is worship um, or, or just through a, a, a realization through the sacraments um, that God joins us and is present with us uh, in a mystical way that we can't explain. There's, there's mystery about it. We don't know all the details, but like God is with us. And that's something that the early church really um, just depended on for survival, for, for day-to-day survival. Just the realization that, no, Jesus is, is with us. Jesus is present in the bread and the cup. Um, God promises to never leave us, and, and God's love for us is just amazing. And so I, I think those are some of the things that have been just reminders for me through this series um, of, of how important it is in this time where we feel so disconnected and separated that, no, like, God is with us, and we are together in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Um, and so as we wrap this up and... Um, uh, kind of reiterate the important points, uh, ways that we are reminded of God being with us is to remember small groups are a key to this, this formation, to this being on this, this lifelong life changing journey with Jesus. Worship is key. Uh, spending time in God's word is key. Uh, having conversations with other Christians is key. Uh, discipleship was how the early church uh, expanded, grew, thrived. It wasn't from an excellent marketing strategy. It wasn't because the leaders were perfect. It wasn't a, a, a cult of personality. It wasn't because it was easy to apply to their lives that they could just check off a few things and boom, they were discipled. And it wasn't because they could fit it into their scheduling so easily. No, it was because when they did the important work over time, the fruit was born in their lives. And it wasn't a quick fix, um, but the, the long-term work led to long-term lifestyle change. Jesus became real and a meaningful presence, um, a, a daily presence in their lives. And that presence made coping with the rest of life doable. And the regular presence of Jesus in there and friends in our lives as well brings a beauty and a peace and a significance that nothing else in this world can produce. Nothing, nothing. And so what does your discipleship look like? I'd love for you to get a piece of paper and and jot down your thoughts on this um, as you reflect about your life. In a given week, what does worship look like for you? What does sharing life with a small group of others look like for you? What does reading scripture look like for you in a weekly basis? What does prayer, your prayer life, look like in the past week? What do conversations with other Christians look like for you right now in your life? And if you aren't happy with some of the answers that came to mind or that you jotted down, 
Let us help you. Let us help connect you to a small group or this neighborhood initiative that we are working hard to, to pull together. Let us help through Bible studies that, that provide you structure to be able to not only read scripture, but be in conversation with other Christians. If that's something you're struggling with doing on your own. Think back to the questions that I asked Jeff a few minutes ago. We long for you to experience an abundance of relationships that shape and encourage you. And for you to help shape and encourage others, because you know what? You're amazing people. We all have something to offer. We all have so much to, to share because we have lived life and we've experienced Jesus in different ways. And sometimes as we've lived life, we have had, uh, we've aced it. We've nailed it. And other times it's been an epic fail. But we still learn from all of those experiences and can share with one another in ways that are meaningful and significant and help us continue to travel that journey um, to, to, to be able to move in that, that, that same direction. So quite simply, we just want you to have traveling partners to share life with. And we long for you to fall even more in love with Jesus. Because that's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate point here. To fall more in love with Jesus every single day. And we want to help you do that. We want to travel with you. Amen. Amen.